Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Silicon Beach Mobile Startup. I'm your host, Baron Murdoch. Today, I'm joined by an extraordinary entrepreneur, Mr. Stephen Hightower, in a very complicated industry that has built the fortune of many of American icons. J.D. Rockefeller comes to mind. Mr. Stephen Hightower, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. No, I really appreciate it. So I, I know you're in the Midwest. You're in Ohio. Uh, that's Rockefeller territory, isn't it? That, that's where the oil started at, here, okay. right here in, the mid, in Ohio. Right in Ohio, okay. <laughs> A lot of people, when they ask me about being in the petroleum business, am I from Texas? I always tell artists in Ohio that it went to Texas next. <laughs> Hey, that's a good place to start where the most successful people have done it, basically. Absolutely. So I always like to, um, to, to get a feel for, for the guests in terms of what, what do you think has, has brought you to, um, it takes a lot to build a company, right? Absolutely. And obviously it takes a lot more to build a company of the size, magnitude, and the reach that you have. You're global. Um, so what is it that, what is, what do you think is the, the one ingredient that got you to where you are? I always think of it, the three F's, it's either family, faith, or focus. You tell me which one resonates. Well, yeah, you know, I bundle that and, uh, it make it all inclusive. Uh -huh. uh, because, you know, faith is your, your foundation, your family is what keeps you whole. And then, of course, uh, the work that you do uh, is built off of that. Right. And if you don't have the foundation, you don't have anything to build on. So uh, uh, that's all encompassing. But, you know, you really have to have a desire. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had a lot of conversations, uh, you know, recently about you know, where do we go next as an African-American uh, uh, entrepreneur? And, um, and how is the world looking at African-Americans in business? And so what you come to find is small, little, insignificant. And those are words that we have to begin to erase and eradicate and change in our own minds that we don't necessarily have to be small unless we want to be small. And the fact that in our minds and in other people's minds, when they talk about, you know, giving capital to minority companies, they're talking about giving five, $10 million, where as most companies, you're looking at a hundred million plus just to be able to get in the game. So, you know, it's a matter of how do we scale and, and scaling is, first of all, in your mind. You've got to have a scalable mind. If you only want to be a barber uh, and a single entrepreneur that just has a business, a lifestyle business that takes care of you and your family, then, you know, we need right. those too. But we also need individuals and, and entrepreneurs that want to be billionaires, that want to be billion-dollar right. companies. And you cannot get to a billion dollars if you're not trying to get to a billion dollars. It's not going to just come to you or just happen. So, you know, part of that faith is being able to speak into the universe what it is that you want. 
and then dynamically you find that it it catches onto faces of words and people that you never ever thought that might hear those words, but those words mean something. Okay. And and when and when you are saying that you want to be I'm satisfied, I want to be low key and and, you know I'm just happy not having employees or I don't want the stress of you know that growth. I just want to be just something that I can just do. Well that's okay because becoming a John D. Rockefeller or becoming a Bill Gates, you know, everybody don't want to become a Bill Gates, but why can't we want right. to become like that as well? Right. And why should we be criticized if we say that we want to do business of that magnitude? Right. Uh, so, you know, it all is how people have been perceived as African-Americans and what we can't be versus what we can be in being able to empower that. Right, no, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And as you said, I think it is a function of, it's a personal decision on the individual's part to say, okay, this is the, the interior field that I wanna be in, and you decide how big it is you wanna be. Um, so I need to probably, I didn't state this earlier, you have a half a billion dollar company in revenue wise right now you guys are on track to do 500 million dollars plus yeah we we did so, about 499 million last year so oh wow we, we just missed it <laughs> just missed it <laughs> right under the wire <laughs> can't claim it yet so that yeah. work harder but but that is so awesome to hear because this is such rare air I mean, if you see a lot of the young people, they're on Instagram and they're on all the social media and they look at the athletes and the entertainers and most of the athletes are entertainers. They're making, you know, 10 to 20, 25 million, 30 million if you're the top athlete. But imagine the level of responsibility, the level of organizational skill that you have to have to create a business of that scale. What do you think education, has education played a role or your own personal development played more a role into you being able to handle all of this? Well, schooling is, uh, give you some basic tools, but you know, there's a lot of smart people that have no money, right. all right? So just, just uh, education alone is only a component. Right. Um, degrees are good if you want to go get a job because in order to have a job or a profession may require right. a degree, but being an entrepreneur does not require that you, you have a degree. It, it requires that you have, you know, a brain that says that I can think about and, and, and coagulate what it is that I want to be. I've got the heart to go out and go beyond what is possible even though I may not have a dime in my pocket, I need to be keep showing up. And even if I may not be able to do payroll tomorrow, the tomorrow will still come and go. So I have to keep mm -hmm. on going. All of that is heart. You cannot give someone that heart and desire to continue to move forward, even in the face of diversity. And you will be in diversity on a daily basis. Right. But then at a certain point, you got to have that gut. And that right. gut, is to be able to tell you when it's time to pivot 
and uh -huh. time to go in this direction that this is not quite working and being able to to go with the market or go with the industry when things begin to change and so, so utilizing your your mind your heart and your gut mm -hmm. is also a, a key component in saying you know how far do you want to go well i mean I, I definitely need to let our audience know and remind them bill gates does not have a college degree most, they, they make, most billionaires don't have a right, degree. right, right. Most Neither billionaires don't have a college degree, so I mean, so right. they, they they can't lose sight of that. They need to be aware of that. So well, it's you, a matter of, like you said, it's the mind, the heart, and the gut, and you develop that instinct and that that fight into you that that will to get to that next level, and that's definitely yeah. to that degree. I I went to Wright State University and I studied management and communications. And I went for three years and a quarter. And at, 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 at that quarter, I said to myself, if I'm going to work for somebody else, then I need to go ahead and continue and get this degree. But I'm not going to work for anybody else. I made my mind up when I was 18 years old that over the next 30 years, if I went to work in a plant at Armco Steel, which is where my father worked for 40 years, and everyone else in Middletown basically worked at Armco Steel in the mill, African-American wife, what will I, where would I be 30 years from now? Uh -huh. And I said to myself, I would get a pension and a gold watch. Right. But where would I be if I had my own business right. in 30 years from now? And I made that decision when I was 18 years old. And I can look back now that I'm almost 40 years into uh -huh. it and say that I made the right decision. Absolutely. Now, I'm not gonna say it was an easy decision. <laughs> I, and my buddies and friends that was, you know, making, you know, 14 and $18 an hour and then double that on, on, on overtime, right. they were doing a lot better than me for many, for many, many years, years okay? Yeah, yeah. But I say, you know, look at me now. Yeah, I always say it's the, it's the tortoise and the hare. Cause I know John Rogers, who owns Aerial Mutual Fund in Chicago, I was in the investment business. And his symbol is the tortoise. So you came out the gate a little slower, allegedly, than they did. But Absolutely. at the end of the day, you're looking good. It's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's definitely a marathon. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, that's awesome. So give us a little bit of a background or tell us a little bit about the reach of your business in terms of the components. What are the, I know you have the fleet. Um, supply chain management and the different the crew the different products that you have can you describe it a little bit well we the, we actually let's say where how did i start you know yeah. where did i start and I, I started in a janitorial business and as in in though that is the basics of that family business that taught me how to do business how to do commerce mm -hmm. how to uh, please a customer, how to invoice, how to pay your bills. Right. All right. Those are basic components fundamentals. and, and yeah, fundamentals. But later as I, after I graduated, uh, I started a construction company, which was a union cleaning company. Mm -hmm. uh, so just to be able to work on big projects mm -hmm. uh, and do take our janitorial business to another level. Mm -hmm. Well, in that process, I said, I want to start selling industrial materials and supplies. So I started selling to Ford Motor Company, various industrial materials. Uh -huh. The state of Ohio came around and had a set aside. Right. 
And so I started selling all types of materials and you know, lumber, drywall, black IPs, you know, whatever the state buy, and they buy everything, okay? <laughs> Literally. And, and I was quoting them. But one day, they set aside uh, petroleum. Right. And uh, BP had had that contract for 32 years, but they weren't playing that game because they did not believe in dealing in the minority business arena at that time. And so as a result, I went and found a supplier, quoted the state of Ohio, and my first contract in 1982 was the entire state of Ohio. Wow, how big was that contract? Fuel. Yeah, I did not know petroleum, uh -huh. but I knew how to do business. Right. I knew how to find a supplier, I knew how to invoice, I knew how to pay my supplier. Uh -huh. And that's how I got into the petroleum business, okay? Today, we're in every state in the United States. Uh, we're also in, uh, delivering to Mexico, Canada, as well as South Africa. Uh, and now that we have began to go upstream, which is dealing in crude oil and LNG, uh, we're marketing into China, uh, the Middle East, as well as West Africa. Now, you mentioned the, the LNG, which is the liquid natural gas. How has that changed the, um, from an environmental standpoint? Is that more favorable, the LNG well, liquid natural gas? Well, you know, there's a supply and demand type element to everything. And whereas the U.S. Uh, struck out and they found more gas than anybody in the whole world, uh, the infrastructure was not made up to allow it to go out to the coast to be exported. Okay. Uh, pipelines go from the east end and, the, and the, from the Gulf Coast up. Okay. But then you have to reverse and get pipelines where you have gas in the center of the country has to go back into the coast to go out into China and other parts of the world. And wow. that infrastructure still is being built out. Okay. So what you have is an abundance of gas, natural gas, here in the country. And what does that do? it decreases the cost of natural right. gas. So therefore, it is uh, the profitability to LNG today, as we see right now, is very, very compared to what it was even two years ago. And so the market changes as the dynamics uh, change, and, and, and we have not caught up. Had this okay. been a mature market in the LNG mm -hmm. space, I couldn't even be talking about uh, participating because okay. it would be locked down by the majors and small companies do not have an opportunity. So what I say to anyone wanting to be an entrepreneur or those that are, are entrepreneurs, disasters and things that happen in the world like right. the pandemic are opportunities. Absolutely, Absolutely. And, and, and that's when you use your gut to when to pivot towards those opportunities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even in our petroleum business, when there's a hurricane or a tornado, you know, we, we send trucks and trucks of fuel into those regions mm -hmm. from outside in order to be able to, you know, just keep the workers, the utility workers going. Mm -hmm. uh, those are opportunities that happen at the worst time, but it allows you to actually become a, a greater uh, 
in that industry. Right. Uh, you know, when, when you help someone at a time of their need, you become their customer and they appreciate Absolutely. it. And you become their customer for a long Absolutely. time. And so we do a lot of utilities like Duke Energy, like Pepco, uh, like Scana. You know, those, those are utilities that we do business with because we were there when they needed us. Now, Mr. Hightower, my question is, you know, given, you know, like we talked earlier about access to capital and given your size and scale, if you had more capital or more access to capital, what, what different things would you do with the business in terms of you talk about pivots or, or other sectors or other products that you would release or create? What would be on your roadmap given access to more capital? Well, you know, capital was a problem when I started. Capital was a problem as I began to grow. Um, I will say to my audience here that I went from zero to 235 million US dollars in revenue before I got my first bank loan. Wow. Okay. My first line of true bank line of credit, I was all the way up to 235 million in revenue. Mm -hmm. And what did I have to do between zero and that was get creative financing, get supplier financing, do all kinds of things, lockbox uh, financing, everything but get a normal bank loan all the way up to $235 million. Yeah. Now, what does that what does it hold say? for a new entrepreneur who wants to get into business and say, well, if Hightower, if it took him all of that, what is my chances of being able to get a bank loan in this mm -hmm. system? And, you know, insurance and, and financial institutions are systemic blocks in our community of having access to opportunities in the larger sector and to be able to grow. And I've always said, if I had enough money, I could sell as much as I had the capital right. to sell. And so even today, when I go from downstream, looking at when I say downstream gasoline and diesel wholesale to my customers throughout the US, to going upstream, now looking at crude oil and LNG coming out of ground, selling to refineries and other utilities, I don't have enough money right. in order to do the magnitude that I'm capable of doing. And all, all over again, I'm at that point of not having enough capital to continue to grow at the rate that I could grow if I actually had the capital to do so. And so there, there's, there's always these blocks mm -hmm. when you get to a certain point and, and it's, it is hard for people to imagine. He does $500 million uh, and he's saying that he cannot get capital to do what he needs to do. It's a true statement right. because I could be doing billions today as long if I had capital to the billions to be able to sell it. It's what? just a matter of, you know, well, it's, it's, I think what it's up. a function of, of Mr. Hightower is a matter of relationships. And I think this is a fortuitous moment for both of us. Um, I work for Merrill Lynch. I work for City Morgan Stanley briefly. But during my time in the investment business, while at Merrill Lynch, I met Jamie Dimon, 
when he was the president and CEO of Bank One. Of course, now he's the CEO of Chase, J.P. Morgan Chase. So mm -hmm. that that's a call that I can make. That's an email that I can send. That's a relationship that exists. You know, I mean, he's been a, a very, very kind, very thoughtful business leader. And I think he would definitely do anything in his power to assist you. I also met Ray McGuire when he was a managing director at Merrill Lynch. Now, Ray McGuire is vice chairman of Citigroup. So these are two people between Citigroup and J.P. Morgan Chase. We're going to change the financial trajectory of High Tower Petroleum uh, with a matter of a few phone calls and a couple emails. Well, so this was a very actually, productive call. Actually, Ray McGuire is from Dayton. I know him. I don't know him that well, but uh, he, he is aware of me and I do know him. But uh, I, again, I, I've only met him like one time, so I don't really know him, but I do All know right. him from Dayton, Ohio. So. Well, I got a right cell phone in my, in, my, in my cell phone, so uh, I can call him directly. So that's how, how well I, I know him. But Great. I think, you know, your story is not just, um, it, it's a real story. I mean, the fact that a business owner has to wait till he's up to $200 million, a, a business owner of color. And one of the things that Ray said to me a long time ago, kind of a mentor, he said, if you build a good business, it doesn't matter what, what nationality that you are, because good business ethics and good business practices, they're color agnostic. They have nothing to do with color. And right. that's why globally, um, you got people like Dan Co Dan Cote Steele, um, um, Alico Dan Cote, and whatever size industry or or company organization that he's built, and you have so many people that are successful globally is because their practices and the way that they do business it works no matter what country you show up in, whether it's you know, Zoom call or in person. Right. So to that point. African-American businesses are valued different than white businesses. Mm -hmm. And in all of my business career as an adult, I have had people tell me that my business is not worth as much as a white business. Mm -hmm. And they did, and, and even within the last six months, sitting down with a banker in that, at that luncheon, banker telling me that my business is not worth as much as a white business. And I challenge that eat every day, day in and day out, because the service that we provide is something that could be replaced in a moment if you're not able to deliver fuel when it's supposed to be delivered, or you deliver the wrong fuel when it's supposed to be delivered, mm -hmm. or you deliver the fuel late right. and don't get it there. Right. My customers like General Motors that depend on Hightower for every vehicle that comes off their assembly line, you have to have that, they get five gallons, every car in all the assembly plants throughout North America mm -hmm. gets Hightower fuel. Wow. Same thing happens with Nissan, the same thing happens with Honda. Right. What if we shut that line down? Right. How long do you think that I would be able to continue to have that account? Yeah, those are big counts. That's precision. That's precision operations right there. If you do Duke Energy, uh -huh. who generates, you know, fuel, generates power and electricity with diesel fuel as well, uh -huh. what happens 
if we allow one of those big multi-million dollar turbines to fail and to break because we did not have the fuel going through those at a time where it was cold or really hot and was burning and really needed. Right. That would be my last day. Right. But when you show up when they need it, right. when you show up when, as example, if uh, there's an emergency and we took 4,000 truckloads into Duke Energy in just, you know, one month right. because they were, you know, it was just an emergency going mm -hmm. on, you know, that is performance. Right. And when you have performance, it's not color. Right. Absolutely. All right? Absolutely. So when, I, when someone says to me that, well, if you lose the business, the business, we can't get the business because you're only there because you're black. Right. I'm not right. customers because right. I'm black. Right. Okay. And, and, and I remind them that if, if people only bought color, that every black person in this world would have a contract, right. whether they knew anything right. or not. Right. Okay. That, that is the least of the value chain that you bring to any customer Absolutely. is the fact that you happen to be black. Absolutely. All right. And if we're not performing a service, we're not there. And so why do white companies and, and white bankers think that what we're doing is less right. than, all right, than the actual services that we perform? And, and it's, uh, it's amazing, but it's still true, and it's systemic, and it's widespread throughout our economic system. But I think you articulated it very well in terms of pointing out, you know, like you said, the operational things that, that you have to do and that back-end process and, and all the, the large-scale customers that you're touching and the things that people know, okay, you got all these automobiles coming off these assembly lines. Nobody, I didn't know it, it had to have five, five gallons of gas in every one of those cars. But that's so significant. And we think about how many cars are on the road. I mean, that is so, I mean, that's fundamental. That's fundamental to the operation of this country. Transportation. Well, also, a car won't start without gasoline. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that, that's 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 really big. So no, that that is that's definitely true. So I think you're right in terms of we have to change the perception because the reality is accounting is accounting, and, and good business practices, um, and every business should be looked at fairly, and that's what that's all that that anybody is hoping that. That, that anyone will do is that look at things based on the numbers, based on the realities, right. and don't judge it based on perception. Right. One of the things that you and I will always be until we die, and that's going to be black. All right. Absolutely. That 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 will never change. Right. And for people to look at us and say that you cannot be great and that you cannot become a billion dollar organization. Be just on the perception of, you know, mm -hmm. you need to be small is, is, is a fallacy in our, in our country. Mm -hmm. And we're at a time at a crossroads right now. We need to be asking, what is it that we really want out of corporate America? Mm -hmm. And I'm saying today that we need to stop being looked at as getting a percentage of, a 10% of, or part of, or subcontract of, right. when we have the capability of putting together a supply chain, just like those individuals that we're working for, utilizing us as their supply chain, right. doing the work anyway, right. okay? 
that we have the ability to do the exact same thing and scale our businesses. And we have to now stop looking at someone saying, we're gonna uh, allow you to have a fund uh, for minority businesses, and that fund is gonna be $25 million. What can you do with $25 million if you're talking about funding more than one company or one, more than one deal, right. okay? Right. They have to say, we wanna to put together a $100 million, a $500 million fund for minority businesses. Right. And you know we're having those challenges and those conversations in communities right now when people say, what is it that you want? And do not allow the current and existing structure to pinhole you and continue to put you in a position where in order for you to play, you have to be small in order to play. And how do we change that perception of let's put packages and let's put systems in place to allow minority companies to actually scale? And that's where we, our mindsets need to be right now. And whether or not you're ready to scale at that level or not, there's absolutely a lot of African-American businesses that's ready to step up to that plate, capable of stepping up to the plate and you know, receiving those kind of funds to take their organization and in some case, acquiring other organizations in order to continue to grow. And there's nothing that they can do that we absolutely. can't do. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm the founder and, and we're in the process of launching Greenbox Venture Labs. Uh, Greenbox Venture Labs is going to be a $500 million fund. And my goal is to, to collaborate with some of the African-American investment banks along with some of the major banks like uh, a Citigroup or JP Morgan Chase. And my thing is there are a lot of successful entrepreneurs of color. Um, and sometimes I don't think we work together as well as we possibly could because everyone's looking at being successful in their own corner of the world. And sometimes some people are just happy being just that one guy that's at the top of the hill. And I think we have to be more inclusive in saying, how many other people can we pull up to the top of this hill? Because it's lonely at the top when you're the only guy that you know that has a $500 million company and you're of color. Of course, I, I was that's fortunate not, to- But that's uh, not try. a true statement. What's that, not? That is no longer a true statement. I mean, there, there's African-American companies that do 10 billion, 12 billion, yeah. 6 billion. Yeah. Okay, so, you know, I fortunate that is not true because we do African American and has scale and shown that they can do it as well as anybody else. No, you're absolutely right. I was fortunate enough to meet Dave Stewart, uh, Worldwide Technologies, when I was in Morgan Stanley. I drove down to St. Louis and he paid for lunch. And I was in, in St. Louis at an office in July of last year presenting a software company. Now, of course, he's doing 11 1.2 billion a year in revenue now. Absolutely. So I'm fortunate enough to know you guys and you guys have done things that, you know, you, you keep raising the bar. That's that's definitely for sure. But I definitely appreciate you taking the time to, to spend some time with us today. And I think you've inspired a lot of entrepreneurs and we've, we, we've started a conversation in the dialogue and hopefully it'll turn into some bottom line things that will continue to enhance high tower petroleum and what you've endeavored to build.
Thank you very much for having me and I look forward to uh, working with you in the future. Okay, thank you, Mr. Hightower. All right, Byron, thank you, sir. All right, bye now.